0: We're in a place in Kingwood's history. We're in a place in global history as we looked at last week. We're in a place in national history. When it's not time, it feels like it might be time, but it's not time to walk soft or shrink back and wait to see what's going to happen. It's time to move straight into the future with the power of the Holy Spirit driving us. We need to move courageously into 2010. This year is about finding our way. It's about challenging our assumptions and it's about strengthening what we have. What we may actually find this year is that the journey is the destination. Explore. Finding God in new places is the theme for 2010 and the series for this month. Now, let me just set the stage for this year. We're in a a visionary discovery process. What that means is, for the next 18 plus months, we're looking at developing a long-term vision that will move us into the future for 5 or 10 years. So we're going to experiment with a lot of stuff. We're going to work with machetes rather than GPSs. We're going to be looking to discern what we're going to be about in the next five or ten years. Now, maybe one of the questions you ask is, why does it take a year or so or two to figure that out? Let me give you two simple reasons. One is we're in a transition. It'll never take that long again. But we're in a time of transition. I can give you vision, but you don't just want vision. You don't want any vision. You want the right vision. You don't just want a good idea. You don't want just a vision that comes from somewhere else. What good would it be for us to give you a vision that doesn't fit you? What good would it be to develop a vision that doesn't fit Shelby County or doesn't or is a vision that we can't fulfill? We're drawing strength off 35 years of legacy and you have got a front row seat to see what God can do over sustained ministry. In longevity. Now what would it hurt to take 18 months to get 30 more years of sustained vision? That wouldn't be a big deal, would it? Here's the other reason. We're looking for a big vision. We're looking for something that's bigger than anything we have now, anything we know now, and any one of us. A vision so big that it'll take years to fulfill... A vision so big that it'll take all we have and then God's supernatural power to see come to pass. A vision that will be pursued for years, that will need to be fought for in prayer, that'll be sacrificed in time and creativity and giving. Now, if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5. This morning, as we kick this series off... Each week this month, we're going to be sharing a different piece of the vision for 2010. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Today we're kicking off the Explore series, Finding God in New Places. This, This series is about finding God in places that you've never found Him before, or finding God in places that maybe we haven't found Him enough. Now, I just want to say this as we introduce this entire month. Let's just boil all this down. All this stuff on the platform, and the devotionals, and the sermons, and the life group teaching, and the youth teaching, and the kids teaching, and the prayer time, and and at the end of the month, and the fast. Let me just boil it all down to one simple reality. All of this is about one thing. It's about you getting closer to Jesus. That's it. If it is about anything else, retreat. We might as well quit now. It's not about church program. It's not about fancy plans. It's not about how cool we can look or what we can put together. It's about you and I pressing in in a deeper way and getting personally closer to Jesus. That's what it's about. All of this, this week, this fast, this devotional, this month, this vision, this year, it's all about the same thing. Luke chapter 5, verse 12 through 16. While Jesus was in one of the towns a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now look at verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more. So that the crowds of people came to hear him. And to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often drew, withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Does verse 16 just seem to not even fit the rest of the story? There's a man that got healed of this life-altering disease that would actually kill him. And Jesus said, don't go tell anybody. Of course, he did. Then the crowds came. <laughs> and then the Bible says the strangest thing. But Jesus often went through to lonely places and prayed. I want you to, if you have a pen, I want you to circle two words. In verse 15, circle the word crowds. In verse 16... Circle the word lonely. Circle the word crowds and circle the word lonely. Today's message is finding God in quiet places. Finding God in quiet places. I want you to picture for a minute, probably most of us have at one point or another been in an airport. And I want you to picture for a minute standing there at the Commons area in the airport with with people. The airport's one of the most interesting places in the world, isn't it? Because you have people from like everywhere. And they're doing everything. You got the guy who's jogging with his suitcase because he's late and his tie's flat back over his shoulder and he's trying to get to the plane on time. You got the guy whose plane won't come for another three hours, so he's just sitting there eating and watching something on the TV at the thing. You've got the lady over here who's shopping for stuff that costs way too much that you'd never buy anywhere else but at the airport it's okay because it's duty free. The airport is such a conglomeration of busyness and activity and people going to this concourse and that concourse and planes coming and going all over the place and it's noisy and loud and announcements are being made and guards are there and you have to walk through all this security area and take your shoes off and your belt off and whatever else, then go through, scan all your stuff, get to the other side. You're going to be randomly picked for screening, so come get some more screening. All that's happening there at the airport. But what I want you to imagine on the other side is a simple bench placed in a secluded garden with a small creek that runs past it. And the only thing you can hear is the wind blowing the leaves in the trees. Now imagine that there's an airtight door that separates those two environments. It's like those car commercials. You're hearing the announcements are going off and everything's happening. People are moving everywhere. You step over into the garden, the door shuts, and it's like a car commercial when the door shuts. You can't hear anything. Wow. Wow. That balance between the crowded place and the quiet place. That balance is something that Jesus mastered perfectly. He knew how to step out and heal the leper. And He knew how to withdraw and get with His Father and spend time in the quiet place. He knew how to alternate between those in absolute perfect balance. What I find many times is we want to do what Jesus did in public, but we don't want to do what Jesus did in private. Everybody wants to heal the leper. Nobody wants to pray like all night. I I don't even know the number. But if I could tell you the number of people who've come to me, I've spent a lot of time as a youth pastor. I've worked with, with young people. I was probably the person who did this at one point in my life. But I can't tell you the number of people who've come to me and they say, you don't understand what God's done in my life. So, well, tell me, what's going on? God has given me a vision. Fantastic, what is it? He has given me a vision. And, and they always come in almost a corrective tone. God has given me a vision to preach to, to crowds. Wow, that's great. Tell me about No, 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 no. And then they start to correct you. I know that you've heard stories like this before. But you've never heard one like this before. I've heard that a million times. You've never heard one like this before. This is different. I don't mean crowds. I mean millions. You can see you're plugged into a 220. I mean, God has called me to preach to millions. I've never had one person since the time I got saved till now come to me and say, God has given me a vision for such intimacy with Him that it's going to require hours of prayer each week. I've never had anyone say that. What's 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 the step from the crowded place to the quiet place. What's 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 the movement? Early in our youth ministry, about three years in, we we had had a great staff that helped us in our in our youth work. We had maybe maybe 20, 25 people helping and it just dawned on me I'm not really doing the best job I can do to help to help pastor that group of people that gave out so much every week. So what I did is I said, well, at least I can start like this. At least maybe I can meet with each one of them once a year, one-on-one, and just talk about their ministry, their life, their, their relationship with God. And so one thing that I found that really blew me away, I didn't expect to find it. The best Christians that I knew, the people who I respected, the people who were most committed in our church that I knew, that I worked with in my little circle, when I would come and ask them, describe for me what a devotion is like for you. It was either so random, it was barely trackable, or, or it was there but so weak, it barely made an impact at all. And I, I shut my door one day and cried. I did not know, and it dawned on me that day, Most Christians don't do their devotions. Most Christians haven't found God in the quiet place. And I know you may say, well, everybody knows that. I didn't know it. It It was a revelation to me, and I thought, if that's where these people that I see are living, most everybody else is living somewhere below that. And I went. So, this week I did some research and found something. I don't know how you'd ever know this, but it's at least in the ballpark, probably. In America, only 10% of adults have a regular prayer and Bible reading time. 10%. Now, remember what I said in the very beginning. This whole month, this whole year, this whole fast, this whole thing, this whole everything we do, what it's about is you and I getting closer to Jesus. That's what it's about. It's about finding God in the quiet place. What is the quiet place? It's that place that you and I meet God alone, it's where we meet God alone. It's that place where God has been waiting in the shadows, longing to meet with us. Every now and then, in a quiet moment, we hear a whisper from the quiet place. You have an inner feeling of emptiness or a sense that our lives are sort of, like this canoe, kind of ran aground. Kind of shallowing out. like Almost like we're living fast but just right at the surface. That whisper and that impulse and those feelings, that's God drawing you and I to the quiet place. David wrote about it in Psalm 23. He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. It was the whisper that Elijah heard in the cave when he realized that God wasn't in the storm and God wasn't in the lightning and God wasn't in the tornado, that God was in the whisper. It's the voice that spoke from the burning bush back to Moses when Moses went out and met God alone in the quiet place. So our vision for 2010. This year, we are going to make the quiet place a huge deal. Especially in prayer. We prayed a few minutes this morning. We had an unbelievable prayer time last Sunday night. We're going to have this fast. At the end of this fast, we're going to pray the last Sunday night of it. We're going to have a prayer quest. This year, let me just share with you every every moment, every sermon for the next four weeks, I'm going to share with you what our vision for this year is. Our vision for this year is to leave this year with a greater supernatural connectedness to God through prayer, then we entered it. Here's some ways we want to do that. This year we're looking for a 100 hours of prayer each week. How does that happen? Well, every time we meet together, we pray 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, somewhere in that ballpark. What we want to do is take, there's several prayer groups in our church that have been interceding through the intercessor. We want to connect those prayer groups together, not to meet all at once, just to just to hear the voice of the Spirit and pray the same thing strategically. Beyond all that, our, our keen focus is going to be in private prayer. Our fast and our devotions are a good place to start. But what we want to do is not just have a powerful devotional time for 21 days. What we want is to meet with God in the quiet place all year long for all of 2010 to focus on that we want to have that regular meeting time with God to encourage this even further we're going to plan we're planning now a spiritual life retreat later in the year that's going to focus specifically on this also to try to work with all this what you're going to hear me say every week is we we have appointed a key staff person to oversee just this spiritual life area of prayer, devotions, fasting, communion, quiet time, all those things. Pastor Jeremy Sims is gonna be looking at this area all year long and help keeping us focused on it. Uncle Jerm, would you wave right there? Just lift your hand up. That's Jeremy Sims. I don't know how many of you are parents of teenagers, but if you are, you may have seen the work he's done with the prayer experiment and the Bible experiment. He's been working on these things all along anyway. Now, let's talk for a minute about finding God in the quiet place. I've I, I thought about this. I, I read a book several years ago that talked about this. This guy was venting his frustration. He said, you know, it seems like as Christians... There's always some new thing that we ought to be doing in our devotions and if you actually did them all, you'd have to quit your job and just do that. You wouldn't do anything else. You know, well, you have to read the Bible and you have to read it like this and you have to read it all and you have to pray. You have to pray these 19 things and you ought to fast and you ought to journal and then you ought to reflect and, and you're like, okay, all right. Somebody stop the train. It is derailed. I want to give you this morning in the simplest way that I know. How do you, how do you meet God? How do you by yourself, one on one, meet God? I'm gonna give you three simple things. Here's the very first one. You can write this down. You need to find a place. I, I, what happens is, is, we have all this energy to do these things, and then we wake up. Well, I'm, I'm gonna meet with God today. Where, I don't know where, and we spend half the day trying to figure out what we should have done, the other half regretting that we didn't do enough. Right? What I want to simply say to you is, you need to find a meeting place with God. It could, it could be an empty room in your house. It could be outside. It's just a place that's quiet. A place that's, that's not... Uh, your, your mind's not going to be uh, captured away by the busyness of other things. What you're trying to get is quietness so you can focus. Look, I was thinking about this this weekend as I was preparing this message. I was tracking back the quiet places that I've been through in my life. When I was a teenager, I had no quiet place in my house. But, but when I started working with our youth ministry, they gave me a key to the youth room. So I'd sneak up there and do my devotions in the, in the youth room. And when I was at Southeastern, it was at a chapel. And, and the summer I interned here in 1992, I can take you to the classroom in KCS kingwood christian school that i used to go away in the summer because school was out i'd hide in there you got to hide where nobody will find you i don't know if you noticed or not people don't respect devotion so much they just crash in so you have to like get away you you have to throw them off it's kind of like when you're on the interstate and you turn your right signal on you're just throwing everybody off because you're going left when they all move over to block you you go on (laughs) that's what you do in your devotions you say i have an appointment hey can you come no i have an appointment Why do we feel that's wrong to say? Uh, When I was uh, in Florida, there were two classrooms that I used there. When we were in Mississippi, I used a classroom. We had woods behind our church. I used to walk out there when the weather was good. And then after Katrina, I started walking to the beach. I I can't tell you the number of times I'd get up in the morning and walk and just pray. And, And I remember in that quiet place, I used to walk to the beach... And there were drain pipes, kind of like this, that were, that were set out. I should have done this after the fast. They were set out into the water. And I would, I would come in the morning sometimes and watch the sun come up. I would stand there and look as far over the surface of the water as I could see. Sometimes I'd watch a big orange glow start to come up over that water. And I would sit there and I can't tell you the things, the times that God and I have had right there. Can't tell you. But you know what? In that quiet place, God was always there. Always met me there. I would stand there and pray. Sometimes it would be joy. Sometimes be working on something. Or He'd be working on me. But I'd come to that place often enough that it became regular. I'm convinced if you don't have a place, you will not have a regular meeting time with God. You've got to find a place. It's different for everybody. It's not One place is not better than another. You just have to find one. And if you don't find that place where you're standing alone, where you're sitting alone, where everything's shut off, then what happens is, is your mind doesn't shut off and it's caught up in everything else that's going on. Here's the second thing you need. You need some kind of plan. One of the things I realized as I work with those, those youth workers is if they didn't... You and I tend by personality some things are more important to us than other things and if we don't have some sense of what the Bible teaches that our prayer life is like, we tend to pray the things that we're most interested in. But, and those are all very good. But what if there's some things that God wants us to pray that we're not naturally drawn to? So you have to have some kind of some kind of plan. Some kind of some kind we don't have time to, to do all that this morning, but you need to have some kind of plan for your prayer life and your I can't tell you the number of times I've found that place and I've got there and I went, Great, now what do I do? And I'm gonna tell you what'll happen. What'll happen is you'll try what you'll say in your mind is, I'm looking for the moving of the Holy Spirit. What'll happen over time is you'll realize you're wearing out because you keep trying to reinventing some experience you've had before. You keep trying to creatively, and you say, "I just, I just," and you'll on an emotional level say, "I don't feel like I'm touching God." But if you have some idea that's scriptural based on, "This is what I'm going to pray. This is how I'm going to pray when I get there," and if the Lord moves inside that, fine, and and God will. But every morning, it's not going to be the 4th of July. Every morning's not going to be fireworks. Every morning's not going to be the greatest devotion you ever had. Sometimes God may actually want to just sit with you and not fix anything. He might actually not want your chore list every day. He might actually want fellowship. And sometimes the fellowship times that feel the best to Him are not the ones that feel the best to me. Because they're in sacrificial faith, not in aromatic emotion. I'm not feeling everything I should feel. But what you'll realize is, as your faith grows over time, you'll have less of those dips. And you'll have a quiet, confident faith that no matter what I feel, God is here and you sit in the in the power and the confidence and the serenity of those moments that God is with you when you feel Him and God is with you when you don't. And there's a there's a joy and a sweetness that comes from that, but it's not going to come randomly. It'll only come over time. Now, here's the last thing. This is simple, isn't it? A place, a plan. Now, here's the, here's the last one. <laughs> this is a no-brainer, a priority. You actually have to make the quiet place a priority. If it's not a priority, I'm just saying to you, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You and I live in a toxically busy culture. We have millions of important things to do, and most of us have more things to do than we'll ever get done in one day, but none of them are as important as meeting with God. I don't have a perfect devotional time. I'll confess it to you. There are times that I miss it. But let me share with you where I'm at in this whole thing. As long as God will give me the privilege of being with you, I will publicly and privately challenge you to have a regular meeting time with God alone. Because I am absolutely 100% lifelong convinced that that it's the only way to live a connected and powerful and growing Christian life. Some days you'll get it right, and some days you won't. Some days you'll do it, and some days you won't. And what you'll find is the place of maturity you want to get to is the place where you have joy that comes from God even when you don't perform well. Early in your devotions, those of you who are young believers, those of you who haven't walked with the Lord long, those of you who aren't doing your devotions now, let me go ahead and warn you. When you get in there, the days you do everything you're supposed to do, you're going to feel great. The days that you don't, you're going to feel terrible. You know what that's all about? It's all about you and your performance. I perform well, therefore I'm good. I perform bad, therefore I'm bad. But as you walk with the Lord over years, what you're going to find is it's not based on what you did or did not do. It's based on what Jesus finished on the cross and your intense faith in that death and and resurrection. And then you can walk those days that you miss it. You can say, grace covers me. Tomorrow's a new day. I'll start tomorrow. I've started over about a million times. Thank God He lets us. Some days you're going to get it right, some days you're get it, going to get it wrong. What you have to realize is, yesterday's gone. Wake up each morning, and regardless of what happened the day or the week or the month before, wake up that day and say, I'm meeting with God today. I can't do anything about yesterday. I can't do anything about 2009. I can't do anything about last week. I can't do anything about any of that. But what I'm not going to allow is what I've done in the past to rob the future. I'm not going to allow what hadn't happened to to dictate to me what's going to happen. Prayer is a paradox. It's a blending of the simple and the profound. It can be agony or ecstasy. It can focus on a single thing or it can roam the whole world. It can be the simplest form of speech. Even a child can pray. But it's the highest form of communication that reaches God's throne. No wonder a spiritual giant like Paul the Apostle wrote, we don't know what we ought to pray. As is usual, Jesus had a profound way to cut a clear line through the confusion. I want to read for you this morning Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 8. It's it's the... Um, we're going to read it out of the message. It's the verses just before the Lord's Prayer. I think sometimes we so often know the Lord's Prayer that we, we don't zero in on what He said before it and how He got to it. Matthew chapter 6, 5 through 8. Do you have that in the message? Matthew 6, 5 through 8. And when you come before God, don't turn that into theatrical production either. Well, that's pretty straight, isn't it? All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role-play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense His grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your Father you're dealing with, and He knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this, and then it goes into the Lord's Prayer. Isn't that a powerful verse? A quiet place. i ask our musicians to come. Every time a minister falls, it makes the news. Have you noticed this? Every time there's a moral failure in a, in a minister somewhere, even in a small little community, it's going to hit the newspaper, it's going to hit the TV... It's going to get whatever mediums are available to the people who print. Let me share with you for a minute this morning something that didn't hit the news and probably will never hit the news. In the early 80s, there was a pastor named Gordon MacDonald. Gordon MacDonald had a moral failure as a pastor. He was restored by loving Christian men who gathered around his life Restored him. And he went back into ministry. Now that's never going to make the news. But during his restoration. He says that he discovered what went wrong. He said his moral failure was a result. Of his poverty stricken devotional life. He learned where abundant life came from. And he even wrote a trilogy. He wrote a trilogy, listen to the title of it. Restoring Joy to Your Inner World. He likens in this trilogy the inner life to a garden. That if it's ignored, vines take over, weeds take over, the things you want to live die, the things that you want to die live. How many of you ever gardened? You don't have to convince me about the fall of man. Just plant a garden. The stuff you want dies. He likens the inner life, the inner man, the soul, to a garden. But he says if you go regularly, if you pull the weeds, water the plants, nurture the garden, it's a place of overflowing joy and life and power and peace. I think this is what the Bible had in mind when it said that Jesus often withdrew to quiet places. It was Jesus' place of power and life and peace and joy. It sustained Him. What I want to ask you to do this year, let's I don't know what your garden looks like. These rocks are not so heavy after all. Let's go on an exploration. Why don't you march into the garden of your inner soul and start hacking away at some of the things that have grown up there. Start chopping away It's some of the junk and the vines and the weeds and the stuff that shouldn't be growing inside there. And why don't you turn that machete into a tool and start planting seed and watering and tending the garden and see what joy may come to your soul.